Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. All of our families are vacationing, and we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to see you uh, next week. Enjoy your time. We are in week three of a series entitled Jonah, a time where God said go, and Jonah said no. And we finally get to the part everybody's been waiting for. We are three weeks in, and we have yet to get to this guy, right? We have yet to talk about this guy's belly and what was in it. And so today, we go there together. Now, before we do, I was reading this story about a little girl who'd gone to her school. She went to her class and started telling all her friends and her teacher about the story she learned about in Sunday school, about Jonah being swallowed up by a whale. Start telling everybody. Well, the teacher came to the little girl and said, sweetheart, you got to understand. It's physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human being. Yes, they're a large mammal, but the truth is, is that their throat structure is such that a human being can't be swallowed. It's just physically impossible. The little girl looked at her teacher and said, but Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher, a little bit irritated. Now listen, this isn't one of our wonderful teachers that go to our our church here, right? This teacher we're talking about is from Newport. And so no worries here. This is not a a teacher in our school. I'm kidding. I love Newport people. Uh, But anyway, the teacher's a little frustrated. said, no, sweetheart, listen, it is impossible for a whale to swallow a man. And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah about it. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And she said, well, you can ask him, right? Hey, listen. Listen, strike live stream. Anyway, um, the, the truth is, is that this is one of the most controversial, one of the most hotly debated miracles in all of scripture. I, listen, I don't get it, church. I don't get it, but it is. One of the most controversial, most debated of all miracles in the Bible. We'll get to that here in a few minutes. But today, on week three in our series of Jonah, when God said go and Jonah said no, we, re- we are reminded that the very heartbeat and mission of God to redeem the lost, to save the sinner, to forgive the unforgivable is on display in this little book in the Old Testament. In week one, we looked at this reality that the more and more you and I can make the book of Jonah and this story about a whale or a great fish, as the scripture says, the more and more you and I can lessen and lighten the blow of this book to our own lives. Meaning this, the more we can make this story about him, the less and less we see the Jonah in you and the Jonah in me. The tendency in all of our our sin nature to, to run from God, to rebel against God, and to reject his calling in our life. So the more we can make it about him, the less you and I see the Jonah in you and the Jonah in me. And so we begin there uncovering such Jonah in our lives. And you know the story. If you've been here for the past few weeks, as God calls Jonah, says, listen, I want you to go 500 miles to the east, and I want you to go preach to Nineveh. And Jonah was going to have no, no such thing take place in his life. 500 miles with a month's journey. So what does Jonah do? The Bible tells us in Jonah chapter one that he begins a journey of 2,500 miles to Tarshish the other way to the west. He picks out the furthermost point in the ancient Mediterranean world and he sets sail for that point to go as far as he can away from God and the calling of God in his life. Hey, can I just stop there? God's will was 500 miles away for Jonah. Jonah's will took him 2,500 miles the other way. Can we just be reminded, it is far easier for you and I to position ourselves in the very will of God than it is to use all the energy, all the creativity we can 
to run and hide from God. Just far easier to run with God. Well, in week number two, we talked how Jonah had paid the fare, went down to Joppa. There he boarded a ship. He paid for his ticket. And we find that as he sets sail, he goes down into the belly of that ship where he falls asleep. While he falls asleep, the Bible says that God hurled or threw or sent a storm at Jonah. Now, if you were to go back to the Hebrew, the word there, God sent a storm, would paint a picture in your mind of a soldier who had a spear in his hand and he was throwing that spear at an enemy. So what we're finding here in week number two is that God divinely disrupts Jonah's life and his sleep by throwing a storm at him to grab his attention. And we begin to talk about divine disruptions and how when you and I find ourselves running, rebelling, rejecting God's call in our lives, that God will divinely disrupt our lives to grab our attention. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. And he knows that the sin we're engaged in will destroy us. And so God will begin to divinely disrupt our lives. We found out last week, too, that finally the captain gets Jonah to wake up from his sleep, brings him on the deck of the boat, and all of the men get together. And they begin to cast lots to see whose sin this was that was causing this divine storm, this divine disruption in their lives. Well, God in his sovereignty does what God does best. He rigs the casting of the lots and it lands on Jonah and he exposes his Jonah's sin to all of those who are on the deck of that boat. And why does he do it? Because here's what we find out about a loving God in our lives, that God exposes our sin so that he can dispose of it in our lives. Because here's the deal. Man, sin destroys everything it touches. It ruins everything it sets its sights on. So today, as we've looked at the divine disruptions in the lives of believers, we find that its very purpose, the very purpose of such disruptions in our lives is so that God can swoop in and God can deliver us from our sin. You say, well, hey, why is this divine disruption? Here's the deal. Divine disruptions happen because of our sin in life, or sometimes they just happen to us because the world we live in is sinful and marred by sin, and, and its effects are all around us. No matter the nature of the divine disruption, all divine disruptions are, are used by God, are used of God to bring about deliverance in the life of his children. And we see that no better displayed than we do here in the life of Jonah. And so Jonah, he's on the boat, he's on the deck. The storm rages on. He's been exposed in all of his sin. Let's take a look about God's deliverance today. In your Bibles in Jonah chapter one, let's begin to look at scripture together. The boat, the very boat they're standing on is threatening to break up in the storm. And so they asked him, meaning the crew, after this casting of Lot's game went wrong for Jonah and he was exposed as the one whose sin was bringing on this storm, here's what they asked him. Tell us who is responsible for all this trouble. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They're wanting to know everything about him so why they can find an answer how to save themselves. Man, how is it that we can stop this storm? What has gone on? And what we begin to see is the casting of lots indicted Jonah before the crew in verse number seven. Jonah's sin was exposed before the Lord and God was ready to do business in Jonah's life. I'm gonna tell you something. You wanna know how God loves us? When God won't let us alone in our sin. 
when God continually fights for our attention and wants to do business with the sin in our lives. So as they ask these questions, watch how Jonah responds. And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Now, mind you, Jonah is standing on a ship that is taking him anywhere but the very will of God for his life. Jonah is standing in a storm that was brought about by his sin and his sin alone. Jonah is standing on a ship that is breaking apart. Why? Not because of the sin of a pagan crew, but because of a prophet's sin. And he says this, and I worship the Lord. Have you ever been there? The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Who made it all, the sea and the dry land. You know what's amazing about verse number nine? These are the first words Jonah speaks in scripture. First time we hear him talk. And you know what we don't see? We find out that his first words were not that of prayer to God, but of pride of his nationalism and his patriotism. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. He was proud of his heritage and his nationalism and yet his identity as being a God worshiper, a God follower was second to that. As we look, we find here in verse nine, a seemingly proud response from a prophet named Jonah to a pagan crew. I love this quote from Charles Swindoll. Catch this. When God paints portraits of his servants in the scriptures, he resists airbrushing away all the warts and all the blemishes. And isn't that good? Hey, aren't you grateful that scripture isn't filled with perfect people doing the very will of God? Rather, it is filled with the stories of imperfect people who have been delivered, who have been saved by God, and God chooses to use in his purpose for humanity. I mean, aren't you grateful God doesn't use perfect people. I'll be honest with you. There's nowhere to fish for perfect people. Not on this planet, not in history, and not in the future. Outside of Christ, no one has walked this earth who find themselves in perfection. Look what he says here. And I worship the Lord. Isn't it hard understanding his context, how he could even say that? But I'm going to tell you something, church. I've been there in life. I've been in the midst of divine interruptions in my life, disruptions in my life because of my sin. And here's the truth of the matter. I do worship him. There's times where you and I, we know him, we love him, we serve him, we worship him, but we find ourselves in a season of running from him or rebelling against him or rejecting his call in our life. But here's the truth of scripture. Such hypocrisy in Jonah's life, in my life, and in your life cannot last long. Why? Because God won't let it. And we know this in Jesus. There is hope for our hypocrisy. There is hope for our hypocrisy. And that hope is the forgiveness of Jesus. Is the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. And he says this, I worship the God of, of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And I love this statement. Because you know what it's a reminder of? That even though Jonah is living in disobedience to God, it's a reminder that it is all the Lord's and thus under his control. And just in case the crew was wondering, Jonah didn't worship just a God, but Jonah worshiped the one true God. And this storm and this grabbing of attention was all a part of God's plan, not only for Jonah, but hear me, 
for the pagan crew that were on the ship as well. Catch what scripture says here in verse 10. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Uh, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Have you ever walked into your child coloring on the uh, walls in the living room and you know they were coloring, they know you're, they were coloring, but you go, what, what in the world are you doing? It's that rhetorical question to get them to realize this is not paper on a counter, this is my drywall. This is paint, it's money. It's that same type of rhetorical question. Now the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make this storm calm down for us? Hey guys, can I remind you for Jonah? It wasn't enough for Jonah just to be caught. But God had to break Jonah of his pride and his rebellion. It is a dangerous place to be, isn't it? Running from the Lord. I want you to note this, that the pagan crew, they were eager and willing to do God's will without knowing who that God was or without knowing what his will was. In contrast, we find the very prophet of God, Jonah, who knew God, who knew his will, and yet was unwilling to do what God said. And I'm going to tell you, who was in the more dangerous position in this passage? It wasn't a pagan crew. It was the prodigal prophet named Jonah. What a dangerous place to be. Hey, church, can I remind you, it's not enough for you and I just to be caught in sin. But it's a necessity that you and I be broken in our sin. Not just caught but broken because it's in that brokenness that God can begin to deliver us. Now watch what Jonah has. He's got his own recipe here for how this sea was going to calm down. He says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now listen to me. I love Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if I'm on that boat, it's fixing to sink. You know what I'm doing as soon as he says that? I'm chunking the boy overboard. No question. I'll do it myself. I don't need the crew. I will find a way to get his hind end in the water, right? To save the boat and save my crew. We find that Jonah here comes to grips with this truth. You ready? There is no escaping God. I wonder, as I suspect he did, if he just wished that he had come cleaner with the Lord sooner rather than later. You know, he's living out the reality of this. We talked about this last week, that, that sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it's going to cost you a price that you and I are not willing to pay. And I wonder as he stood there on the edge of that boat, knowing the only way that, he would, that the, the crew would live was for him to suffer a death sentence because of his sin. I wonder if he just wished, and I could have, could have come clean sooner, and I wished I had. Hey, church family, can I challenge you and me in something this morning? Hey, can I challenge you, don't wait on the wind? Hey, can I challenge you not to wait on the storm? Can I challenge you not to wait on the seas giving up their waves? Can I challenge you in this? And that is if God through his spirit is fighting for your attention, don't wait another minute don't wait for anything else. Come clean with the Lord and position yourself through obedience in his deliverance. I promise you, it'll cost you much less and it'll bring you from the brink of death to the beauty of life.
that only God can bring. Look at this in verse 13, one of my favorite parts of this whole story. Instead, so now we know what the fix is. But instead of the crew acting like I would have and chunking him overboard, watch what the Bible says. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. Think of it. They didn't love God. They didn't know God. They didn't know Jonah except for the fact that his sin and wrongdoing has caused this terrible tragedy all around them. And yet they have compassion for Jonah, a compassion he did not share with them by climbing aboard their boat in rebellion to God, a compassion that Jonah did not have for the Ninevites because he's running all the way from them. And yet a pagan crew doesn't want to kill him. They want to save him. And that blows my mind. They want to save this prodigal prophet of God. You know, I thought about this verse. And you know what I was reminded of? They couldn't. For the sea grew even wilder than before. God's commanding the sea. God is commanding the storm. God is commanding this wind. And at the thought of a pagan crew trying to save Jonah, God ratchets it up. Why? Because only God could be the hero of Jonah's story. Because it was only God who could save Jonah from Jonah's greatest threat. And it wasn't a ship that was breaking up. It wasn't a wind that was blowing. It wasn't a sea or a storm that was raging. The greatest threat in Jonah's life and to Jonah's life was Jonah himself. And only God could save Jonah from Jonah. Not the crew. God must be the hero of his story so that God could save him and God can use him. Hey, church family, can I ask you a question? Who are you setting up as the hero of your story? Who's the one you count on to save the day? I'm gonna tell you, there's some heroes in my life. I I think of my mom and my wife, my in-laws. I think of the the ministers who poured into my life and friends, and there's a lot of heroes in my story. But there is only one person who is the hero above all heroes of my story, who not only saved my day, but saved my life and saved my eternity. And his name is Jesus. He's the deliverer. Why? Because he's the only one who can save me from me. Who are you setting up as the hero of your life? Is it a relationship? Is it a dependency on alcohol or drugs that you're hoping will save your day? Is it money or wealth? Is it, is it a job? Is it popular? What do we set up as the hero of our lives? Because here's the deal. There's only one who can save us forever. And that's Jesus. Um, me and the, the family, we took mom out for Mother's Day um, this past week. Uh, we went to the Pottery House Cafe. We took mom out there. And um, we know it's not Mother's Day. She had the flu during Mother's Day. And so um, we, we decided to celebrate a little bit down the road. And, and so we were out there. It was great. Hey, by the way, you can't buy Mother's Day cards on May 30th, just to let you know that. Um, not that we did, but my other brother did. And that's why he loved me more. Anyway, and so... Uh, 
And so we went over to the Pottery House Cafe. Have y'all ever been there, ate over there? I love their chicken tenders and honey mustard, just like that bread. Anyway, um, so we get over there. Now they have two fountains over there. They got the fountain near the restaurant where you can sit around. It's got a little water and fire thing. It's cool. There's another fountain just right near the road, and it's where you could throw money into, right? It's a big stone fountain, has a rail around it. Well, I took the kids over there. They love throwing coins into that fountain, right? And since we're millionaires, we thought this would be great. And so we took these coins, and we gave them coins, and uh, they were throwing it in the fountain. It was just, uh, we love it. Well, another family walks up, and some young kids, about four kids like we have, a little boy, and he's probably seven, eight years old. Well, he thought it'd be really kind of cool to lean up over on that rail and to grab money instead of throwing money in there, right? Who's not had that thought, right? I could just dive in this fountain and take care of my, my month's salary. Anyway, and so, so he's reaching out, and I'm watching this unfold. And the mama's like, son, get down from there. You're going to fall in. No, I'm not. We got to go. No, 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 no. And just this whole back and forth. Well, the mom turns her head, and I'm watching him still reach. And he gets to that moment where his legs start coming up, and that boy took a nosedive right into the fountain and his head missed every rock. It was unbelievable. And I was watching this going, that was cool. That dinner in a show, right? And right here, anyway, he falls such that he goes down the brick wall and <laughs> he gets stuck underwater. Listen, it, that thing is built to where when that kid fell in, he got wedged in between the rocks and he was there. He'd still be there today, right? There was no way that kid was getting out. So, of course, I just walked over there, and his mom was there, and we just, we kind of yanked him up. Man, that poor kid was soaking wet. It was just hilarious. Anyway, we pulled him out, and he's, he's alive. And he would, like I said, he would still be there today if we didn't pull him out, right? You know, as parents, there's something I'm learning, that there's many times in parenting where you kind of save your kid's life from something stupid. You ever see that? Something that they do that might just hurt them and kill them and somehow you pull them up out of the fountain. Mama, quit shaking your head. Anyway, you pull them up out of the fountain. She, you don't ever get excited in church. You just got excited. <laughs> She's sober. Anyway, so we pulled him up. Here's what you learn in parenting. You ready? Here's what you learn. That sometimes you kind of, you can save your kid in a moment. You can deliver your kid from a moment. But you know what also, as a dad, that I am overwhelmed by the thought of? There's only one person who can save them forever. And it's not me. It's not me. It's Jesus. He's the only one who can be their hero. And you know what as a dad I need to do? You know as a husband I need to do? You know what I need to do as a pastor? Is I need to do everything I can to point everybody I love, everybody I know, to the one who can save them forever. And that's Jesus. And that's what we see unfolding in the story. Now catch this in verse 14. Y'all don't know this, but we're going to go through two chapters today. Promise not like this. Here we go. It says this in verse 14. And then they cried out to the Lord. Now this is the crew. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. So here's the deal. Jonah says, throw me overboard. They try to save him, recognize only God could save his day. Now they're coming to the grips. We're going to have to chunk this guy over. Remember, I would have been there an hour ago, but they're a whole lot more spiritual than I am. Here they go. Please, Lord. Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable, not sure why there's a space there, for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you plead. Now here's where I would have been a long time ago. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And watch this. The raging sea grew calm. At this, 
the men greatly feared the Lord. I want to stop right there. They threw him over and the waves cried down. But did you catch what the pagan crew did? You know what their first step was? To cry out to the Lord that they did not know for deliverance. That they were not certain might come. But they cried out for deliverance. And you know what verse 14 tells us? That God heard their cries of deliverance. And he answered them. And he honored them. You know what's amazing to me time after time as I read through scripture is that God always answers the cry of his people for deliverance. That he always turns his ear to those who cry out to him. Even a pagan crew who know him not, he delivered them. And you know what happens? He calms the seas in their life. You know, I jotted down. I thank God that the salvation of humanity is based on the faithfulness of God and not compromised by the unfaithfulness at times of God's people. I'm so thankful. We get a glimpse here on the deck of this ship. We get a glimpse on a small scale of what God desires and is going to do on a large scale in Nineveh. We get a glimpse of that here. And watch this. They worshiped the Lord. Even in the midst of divine disruption, even in the midst of the storms of this life, God is still at work for the good of those who will love him and believe in him. And he is still at work to save humanity from their sin. And it's a beautiful picture. And here's, here's the part we've all been waiting for. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Most of your translations will say a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. Anthony, are you telling me you are a 37-year-old man. You have master's degrees. You're telling me that you believe that a great fish swallowed a man and that he lived inside that belly for three days. Absolutely. Why? Because the Bible says it. And I believe it. I believe it. I believe it because the Bible states this story as a historically reliable account of God's divine disruption in the life of his running rebellious and unreliable prophets. It's one of the most unbelieved, one of the most criticized miracles in all of scripture. In all of scripture. And here's the controversy. There's no way physically this could happen. So Anthony, how could you believe it? Because here, let me, let me tell you a truth that, that kind of guides me as I study his word. And how do, I, how do I come to grips with science that's around us and, and where it seems to conflict with the word of God? And here's how I do it. I don't view this story through the lens of science. I view this story through the lens of the sovereignty of God. And that's important for the believer. The God of our culture is the God of science. What we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can know. Science exists, though. Because God created the physical and the natural world. And he gave us ability to observe and to study and to begin to understand how this physical and natural world that God has created, how it works. But here's what I know about the sovereignty of God. That God can work within 
the scientific world within the physical world he created, or God in his sovereignty can work outside of science. It is up to him. Because here's what I know, that even science bows to its creator. Even science bows to its creator. Anthony, do you really believe it? Why? The Bible says that I believe it. Jesus also affirms its credibility. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus used Jonah's experience as the backdrop of informing his disciples about the circumstances of his own time in the grave. It is a historical account, uh, a fact that is the account of Jonah and the fish, and Jesus links this historicity to his resurrection and paints a picture of it. So here's the deal. Anthony, do you really believe it happened? Yes, why? The Bible says that I believe it, and on top of that, the Word himself, the Creator himself, says it and affirms it. And I'll be honest with you, this controversy just, <laughs> it wears me out. I don't understand the controversy behind it. We fuss about the man being in the belly of a fish, a great fish for three days, and how physically impossible it is. Yet we go just verses before and we find a sovereign God who can hurl a wind. We find a God who controls storms and who commands the waves. And yet we have a problem with that very same God commanding a fish to swallow up his prophet and housing him for three days. It makes no sense. I have no problem with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis goes on and says, God speaks things in existence. And yet it is too big for our God to use a great fish to house his prophet for three days. To me, it's just a, it's a phony controversy that I don't understand. The Bible says that he appointed a great fish. What if? And I love thinking through things like this. What if the type of fish that God used has never before and since then never existed? What if on that day, he spoke into existence a, a great fish whose sole purpose in existence was when Jonah was in the sea to gulp him up, to house him for three days. And after Jonah found himself on the shore, God did away with that creation. Could he do it? He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Now listen, I don't have the answer. Was it a spermal? Some people said there was an ancient form of the, the great white shark. How terrifying is that? But that maybe could have swallowed me. Listen, I, I don't need science to prove this for me. Here's what I do know. I don't have the answer, but I know the God of this story. And this story of deliverance sounds just like something our God would do and therefore, it is something that he did. I love what Billy Graham says. He asked the question, Jonah being swallowed by a great fish? He said, I'd believe it if Scripture said Jonah swallowed the great fish. I'm with Billy on that one. I'd believe it. Well, Anthony, it just sounds impossible to me. You know what else sounds impossible to me, church? A man who was crucified on a cross, laid in a borrowed grave, dead for three days, coming to life again. We forget oftentimes that we serve the God of the impossible. I, I love this thought, and I jotted this down, that our God specializes in miracles, and by their very nature, miracles operate in the arena of the impossible, and we must not forget that. 
We cannot forget that as we approach this story. And so now we close with chapter two, which you're gonna be grateful is a short chapter, okay? I want us to look at Jonah's response as he finds himself in the belly of this great fish. Now, for some reason, I just blew by first one on my screen. I have no idea how to go back there. It's a mystery to me. I don't know what to do. So what we're going to do is have you break out your Bibles and go to Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. And I want you all to read there until we catch up to verse 4 here, okay? There's my technological genius there. Uh, Let's go to verse 1 and watch this. We finally find Jonah do something that the captain of the ship could not get him to do in the midst of the storm. That God exposing himself, uh, his sin to this to this crew, that God exposing Jonah's sin to this crew, it couldn't get Jonah to do. And we finally find this prodigal prophet of God, we find him praying here in Jonah chapter two. Hey church, can I make this note as we go to read Jonah chapter two? You ready? Prayer is not our last resort as a believer. It is our most effective weapon against the storms of this life. And it is always the vehicle upon which God brings his deliverance. It's not a last resort. Now listen to verse one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Hey, by the way, I want you to notice something here. Jonah is talking and describing his drowning. Oftentimes we picture that as soon as Jonah was thrown off, this big cartoon guy comes up and gulps him up, right? You know what Jonah's describing for us here? He is drowning and he is dying in the sea. Now watch as his description goes on. In verse four, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Guys, hear me. Jonah is drowning and he is dying. And finally, he comes to the place as he's describing where he cries out to God for deliverance. Imagine if he had done it at the port of Joppa. Imagine if he had done it on the deck of the ship. But now he finds himself on the, the sea floor, drowning and dying. And hey, by the way, have you caught it so far in the text? The Bible says that Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the ship, down into the bottom of the ship and down into the sea and down into the great fish's belly. I want to tell you, tell you what you know to be true. Downward is always the trajectory of sin. It's always downward. And the message of the gospel is that today Jesus wants to change the trajectory of your life. And only he can do just that. Now watch this, you ready? He can deliver. In verse six, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, now now he knows his source of deliverance brought my life up from the pit. Whereas his sin brought him down and brought about death in his life, he is realizing that there is deliverance in God. And where sin brought death, it is God and God alone and his deliverance that brings life. You brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you and to your holy temple. 
And I love this. So cling to worthless idols. Turn away from God's love for them. But watch this. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Does this sound familiar? What I have vowed, I will make good. Does that sound familiar to you? Remember the pagan crew? This is exactly their response to the deliverance of God. And it took drowning and the belly of a great fish for the prophet of God to get here. Don't let it take all those things in your life and my life. He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And watch this. And God delivers him. And the Lord commanded the fish and out vomited, it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Now listen, I'm sure it beats the other way, but this is not a glorious deliverance. But you know what? All the more, it's the very deliverance of God. And Jonah now knows life. Church family, if you're here and you, you don't know the Lord, his deliverance is but one prayer, one cry away. It's the beauty of the gospel. If you are a believer and you believe all oh, really, all God really could deliver me was when he brought me into a relationship with Jesus Christ and that's the only salvation or deliverance I ever need. I, I want you to hear me. Jesus saves, it's not just for a moment in life, but is the power in the everyday life of the believer that Jesus saves and Jesus delivers. Can I share with you one closing story? I ran across this and uh, just really touched my heart. Back on September 11, 2001, there was a uh, CEO, vice president, really, of Fuji Bank. His name was Stanley. Now, Stanley was working in his office that day when all of a sudden the phone on his desk rang, and it was someone from their Chicago office. And the lady on the other side of the phone just said when, when he answered, are you guys Okay. And he said, I'm fine. And he said, as he did that, he looked out his window from the South World Trade Center Tower across the Statue of Liberty, and his view was disrupted by a commercial aircraft heading directly for his building. He said, I dropped the phone. I jumped over my desk where my Bible lay, and I cowered underneath my desk knowing I was done. He recounts the sound that that act of terror made against the side of that building as the plane had crashed into it. He remembers the heat from the fireball that was produced inside. He remembers the noise of the debris being spread everywhere in his office space. He remembers how the building shook and how his desk shook as that plane made contact with the building. And as the smoke rose up, the heat was unbearable. He was still alive. He began to look around and through the smoke and through the ash, everything was destroyed. And being a believer, he cried out to Jesus and said, Lord, if, if you would just deliver me and save me. And, and listen, all the things that seem to matter the most to us right now and today, in moments like that, you find out what really matters. And he said, you know what? I just want to go home and see my family. I just want to see my daughters again. Well, in that moment, somebody says, I'm here to help you. And he saw a light for the first time. 
And he thought, oh, listen, God's provided a guardian angel. Well, it wasn't a guardian angel. It was a Christian executive who worked three floors below him. And he reached out his hand and he grabbed Stanley's hand. And through the fire and through the smoke, they began to make their way through the rubble and they found a stairwell and both men are alive and well today. Well, here's the point of the story they got to me. Stanley says that he went home and the clothes that he was wearing were the very same clothes he had on that day. They were tattered, they were torn, they were burnt. They had the smell of smoke and jet fuel. And what he did was he took those clothes, he took them off and he folded them and he grabbed a box and he put those clothes in a box and he took a Sharpie and he started writing on the side of that box and here's what he spelled out, deliverance. And he took that box of those tattered clothes and he brought it to his wife and he said, sweetheart, if my love for the Lord grows cold, if spiritually I ever become cold, you take this box, would you bring it to me? Would you open it up? And would you show me those tattered clothes? And I'll be reminded of God's deliverance in my life. I love that story. And I think to the person here today who may not have a relationship with the Lord. And you know, you like me, sin has left us tattered and torn and broken. And, and what's amazing about the gospel and about the very Jesus we have preached about today is that it's only Jesus who can take the tattered places in our hearts, the, the torn places of our lives, the broken places in our stories, and it's only Jesus who can write deliverance all over them and who can deliver us from those tattered places. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what hurts. But the God who created you and loves you and desires you does. And he wants to write deliverance all over your heart and in your life. And he wants to save you. Believer, here's what I believe today. What God wants to accomplish is just to you be reminded, as Jonah did, did you catch it there in the scripture? And he remembered the Lord. I wonder, Christian, as you've walked with them, you've known sin. You've known that even in Christ, there's been some tattered places in your heart and your life, some torn places, some broken places in your life. I wonder if what God desires to do this morning is for you to, in a sense, take those and to put them in a box. And to look at all the, the tattered pieces and the torn pieces and the broken pieces. And I wonder if you need to be reminded that not only did God save you from your sin, but God is saving you from sin and the power of sin in your life. And I wonder this morning in that box, if you need to be reminded that God can, that God will, and God is able to write deliverance, believer, over the broken places of your life. He's ready. He's willing. Hey, believer, don't wait on the wind. Don't, don't wait for the storm. Don't wait for the seas to mount up. Don't wait for the belly of a great fish. Come to him now with your broken pieces and ask him to deliver you from them. 
and in repentance you walk with Him. Can we pray together? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.